0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 214 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have three ladies on who are not only they shape their part of the equestrian world, but they listen to their hearts, but not to tradition. This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and today I have my producer George with me today. Hi, George. Hello, hello. How's it going? (laughs) You are so not used to being on this side of the equation. Uh, Did you have your mute button on?
2: Uh oh, as always Debbie yeah. as always it's a pleasure to be here
1: <laughs> I am glad to have you here I'm really glad to have you here because it wouldn't happen without you here today and I know Jen is on the road traveling with Glenn um I am so used to having a J word in there though so Jen George interchangeable except you sound a little <laughs> different <laughs> you sound a little different than Jen and so I thought I'd test your horse knowledge today Oh no! I'm not going to. (laughs) I am not going to. But I I have not studied for this test. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's called a pop quiz. You know that. Oh gosh,
2: is that a horse thing? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, not really. That was a school thing. But you are going to be the only guy on the show today because we have three women on today. Um, The first one is Ada Gates Patton, who is the first woman farrier licensed for the racetrack in the United States of America ever. So, um, so not only is she a lady, but uh, and comes from East Coast blue blood. But she also is a fantastic farrier who's influenced a lot of people. And then we also have Tinia Kremer and Pat Roberts, my favorite mom, and we're going to have them on to talk about the hardest Phoenix uh, fundraiser that they put on, which is the Appalachia. Balasha, I think I'm saying that right, Trainer Face Off, which is really a big deal anymore and it's really only been around a few years, five years or so right now, but they're kicking hiney and raising a lot of money to help out horses. So what do you think? You're going to learn something today, George?
0: I think so when you have zero knowledge you can only go up.
1: You can only go up from there. You you are <laughs> if you work on the horse radio network, I know that you must listen to a little bit of horse stuff. So we'll we'll put you in the category like close to a horse husband. You might be like my husband who is like one of the most knowledgeable horse people that never works with horses ever.
3: So there you go. Uh, a horse, a uh, horse husband trainee, a uh, page like a yeah. knight
1: or something like intern that. <laughs> intern, <thing>. yeah. In- <laughs> horse, horse husband intern. Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, you're interning, yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited. But before we get into that, we want to hear from our title sponsor, who is Hands On Gloves. Well, I'm sitting here today with Jay Michaelson of hands-on gloves. And we were talking today about the horse that has sensitive skin or the animal that has sensitive skin, Jay. And I I wanted you to help me address that a little bit. I know you've got some features to your products, but I know you know more about it than I do. So what do you do? What do you say to the, the owner that has somebody with sensitive skin?
0: Our gloves are made from surgical grade nitrile. So that makes them chemical resistant, mildew resistant, because you can bathe with them too. They're made to get wet. Um, But across the board, there's no latex in them. So it's great for any animal, any people that have latex issues, there's no latex in it. They're just your hands. And if you have a thin-skinned horse or dog, there are cats, other animals. There are many animals that don't like to be touched in certain areas, but Having the gloves on, it's just your hands. You get immediate feedback if you get to an area of that animal that is sensitive. And you can apply less pressure in those areas, and you can apply more pressure in the other areas. Uh, We have professional grooms that work for us. um, They groom for Olympians across the board, and these guys are phenomenal. And they did a study on mainly thoroughbreds, thin-skinned thoroughbreds, Mm -hmm. and they found out that most people are grooming too light. Oh, interesting. They're tickling the the horses. They went and applied just a little more pressure, and the horses loved it. Uh, and so that's kind of some of our experience with it. We we have all kinds of animals and experience with that.
1: I think you can throw these in the wash machine. Am I right?
0: You can. Next time you bathe your animals with them, use the gloves. A little bit of soap suds up all the way. And what we do after we bathe our animals with them, we rinse them off, hang them out to dry, and they go okay. back to new. Um, you can throw them in the washing machine. Um, just don't put them in the dryer and okay. um, just throw them in the washing machine hang them out to dry, and they go back to new.
1: Well, Jay, how do people find out about you?
0: Handsongloves.com.
1: Ada Gates Patton is the president of the California Thoroughbred Foundation and has been named Farrier Director of the new California Horse Center at Flaggisette Farms in Solvang, California. Who is Ada Gates Patton? Well, in 1978, Ada became the first woman farrier, licensed to shoe thoroughbred racehorses in the United States and Canada. Her unique status gave her great opportunities, including guest appearances on, yes, Late Night with David Letterman, What's My Line to Tell the Truth, and the Today Show. Her dedication to the industry has led to many years of selfless service, including farrier liaison for the 1984 Olympic Games, official horseshoe inspector for the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade, the president of the California Thoroughbred Foundation Board of Directors and a presenter of various seminars that she travels to. Ada served on the Farrier Committee for the Alltech FEI World Games in Lexington, Kentucky in 2010, and she's received the Edward Martin Humanitarian Award and as a member of the International Horseshoeing Hall of Fame. Ada seeks to demystify the trimming and shoeing process by measuring. To achieve a flat and balanced hoof, she assures you it is not her opinion, but only the opinion of the horse as to whether it is right or not. She will show you how the work is done and how the horses speak to us. Well, welcome. One of my favorite people on earth, Ada Gates. How are you today, Ada? I couldn't be better and just thrilled to hear your voice today, Debbie. I'm so glad you agreed to come back on and and be with us on the Horse Radio Network on Horsemanship Radio. We're getting together a lot this summer. It's been fun.
2: It's been terrific. I love it.
1: Yeah, you were were at the Movement. You were one of our presenters at the Movement, and our listeners will know mostly know about the movement. And uh, you were there as uh, not only a presentation with the farrier, showed us a wonderful trick you have with a a ruler and how to trim, but you are also named farrier director of the California Horse Center here at Flag is Up. And I'm excited about that too. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I also wanted to talk about um, a wonderful lunch we had just recently too. We'll, We'll just start with that. That was really fun. So I can't forget to acknowledge. Thank you for bringing such cool friends with you this last week. And um, we have up on, it was uh, episode 212. If people look back on 212, it came out August 1st, and it was with a Revisit of Sheila Varian, who has since left us. She passed a few years back, but this interview was from 2014, I believe. And so we're we're pulling it out of the archives because your friends knew who Sheila Varian was and um, about her storied past with Arabians. But um, I thought that was really, really fun that women who have excelled, these women were all excellers weren't they that you brought to lunch here how did you get them all together well Jean Brooks is the head of
2: development for the entire library system of Cal Poly Pomona Mm -hmm. and so I met her through our connection with the California Thelberg Foundation well it's a long story but the Carlton Mm -hmm. F. Burke Library that Mm -hmm. our foundation has maintained since this well we got it in the 60s has been given as a grant to Cal Poly Pomona. And that's because Susan Kellogg, the great-great-granddaughter of W.K. Kellogg, of Kellogg Arabians, who gave his ranch to the state of California, and that became Cal Poly Pomona, Susan Kellogg is still very, very involved with the university, And she was the one that suggested to the university, you know, there's a fabulous thoroughbred library right here in Arcadia. It's an unsung hero. And we've only got Arabians in our library. I think we should expand to a much broader coverage of horses. So it was Susan Kellogg who came to us with Cal Poly Pomona and said, would you be interested in donating your library to the university? And yeah, we so cool. couldn't say yes fast, fast enough, enough. <laughs> could not say yes fast enough yeah. because, you know, they can digitize, they can archive, they can repair books that, you know, we don't have the, the money or the wherewithal of the expertise. We're not librarians. Right. We're, we're, we're trustees that have various missions for the racehorse. And so this, for us, is just a a gift from God. It's fabulous. And so I've come to know these extraordinary women. You sure have. They wanted to meet your father. They wanted to meet your father and mother, and they wanted to go to Flag is Up Farms. And then we met you, Mm -hmm. and we toured the farm. Your mother gave us an extraordinarily delicious lunch. I put Susan right next to Monty. Yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> but before nice. that, before that, Monty, we all sat in that beautiful living room of that extraordinary Cliff May house uh, at Flag is Up farms. And we just, we, we just had a magical day. It was a awful. magical day. Awesome. And there were other women there that are friends with Susan's and they're all high achievers.
1: All high achievers. Yeah. And all, um, you know, lovers of, of legacy I would say yes, and that they that yeah much. all of them have vision and just like you they have long term plans for the lives of horses which is yes. you know we all have in common so it was really cool and so I I definitely I mean that Brought us together again, but you're coming back for Monty's special training too in August, which we always have in yes. August, and you yeah. will be presenting again. You're a busy lady. I, I definitely wanted people to know that there's going to be some articles coming out about you too in some some thoroughbred media, and I, I mean, you still you are not slowing down. So, what gets you up in the morning? What gets you going so much? Well, I think phone calls from Debbie. <laughs> oh, I keep you going, huh? <laughs> I keep, I, I keep challenging you to other things too. Well, you came to me about, oh gosh, I guess about a year ago or so, and you said, "Love the direction that we're taking." You always love Dad. I mean, give us a thumbnail yeah. of your relationship with Dad.
2: Well, I became um, a certified journeyman farrier in 1977 i had already been working since 71 but i came to the racetrack and i you know got past the licensing exam and i was a rookie it was 1978 a few just a little bit later and your father was at hollywood park with 80 horses in the two-year-old and training sale march of 1978 and I went up to him, and he was sitting on this huge, big, beautiful horse, and he was drop-dead handsome in a big cowboy hat and shaps <laughs> and his vest, I mean, he was just dressed to the knife. And his horse, I'm sure, I think it was even a stand, stood stock still. This horse was completely broke, completely at ease and trusting. with I mean, he and Monty were like one entity. Mm-hmm. And I go up to him, and I say, hi my name is Ada Gates and I'd like to shoe your horses. And he, he looked at me and inside I could just hear him say, "What? <laughs> what? <Who is> this? <laughs> so he said, okay, let me see what you can do. And he said, okay, um, bring this horse out. I want I have Ada. I want to see what she can do with this horse. So I walked the horse a little bit, started to pull the shoe on the horse and Monty rode away. I said, Monty, where were you going? I thought you were going to watch me shoe this horse. He turned back. He looked at me and he said, I can already tell you know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> and, and rode away. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, you, this so is that is dad beginning. in a
2: nutshell. Yeah. We, yeah, that was the beginning. And we've been together ever since.
1: You sure have. You sure have. Yeah. And you have never stopped learning. I think if there's... One thing besides horses that you and dad have yeah. in common is yeah. you are lifetime learners, and I, I love that yeah. about you, too. And you are lifetime imparters, which is even better, because all those wonderful things that you're still learning, you love yeah. to impart to anybody. I was going to say the next generation, but I think it's anybody who's willing to slurp yeah. it up. Um, yeah. you, you guys are both really wonderful teachers? Well, I've always had
2: great mentors. Harry Patton was my major mentor, but there was Jim Canoy and Jay Sharp, and it was just a whole bunch of excellent farriers that trained me. I really think after I retired, I learned things that I never really knew before, and so I went into a whole different universe. I started, I hate to say this, I started telling the boys what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> And you know what? They love it. There, yeah. I don't have any gender. When I'm working, and I'm working with men, most of the farriers that I work with ha- have been men. But there are many, many excellent women farriers. But when I'm working with the men, there there's no there's no difference. There's no gender. There's no yeah partisanship. There's no there's nothing. We are one person working together for the benefit and the betterment of the horse. And because of what I learned from your father about the language of the horse, I never knew what the horse's language was. I learned that from your father. I did take classes and I've gone to a lot of his clinics. And when you, when you combine measuring a foot to have 50-50 50-50 balance between the front and the hind, like a perfect seesaw. That's perfect balance. And you measure that. You don't use your eye because it will lie to you. You measure that with this little ruler that I have. And anybody can learn this in just a little moment. When we we watch how the horse reacts to having that trim and that foot. And he tells us every time it's perfect. And he loves it because horses do not know how to lie. They don't know how to lie. They don't know how to prevaricate. No, they just say yes or no. And your father taught me, what does yes look like? And that's what I teach people. Yes, I teach them how to measure a foot. But if I just did that, it would be my opinion. And why would anybody listen to my opinion when there's 5,000 bajillion other opinions that could have as much value, but none of those opinions have any value whatsoever because the only opinion that matters is the opinion of the horse.
1: I love that. And what does that look like teach. when the horse says,
2: ah? Well, prior to working on the horse, you look and see, how does he present himself to you? And it's usually with a stiff neck that's kind of up, the ears are back a little bit, eyes can be kind of glazed, and definitely the mouth is tight. And when he walks away from you and walks back towards you, his gait is short. He's not lame, but he's certainly not comfortable. His body is very stiff. There's no movement in it. And he just goes clunk, 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 clunk back away and come back to you. The minute you put a perfect balance trim on a foot and you put that foot down, don't look at the foot. Look at the head, look at the neck, look at the ears, look at the eyes, look at the the mouth. He immediately starts licking and chewing. The head drops, the ears go forward, the eyes get soft. And when he walks away and comes back to you, his body is soft and undulating and moving uh, rhythmically. And his stride is longer, the head is down. Actually, when he's walking away, you can't see his ears anymore because his head is so low. Uh It's below his withers. Mm. Happens every time. Mm-hmm. Every time, that's I don't the care opinion how of the old horse. the horse is, and mm-hmm. I don't care what the breed is. That's his opinion, and that's his and that says to us, "I like this. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I'm relaxed."
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. So that you're working with these farriers now, you're not always under the horse, you're working with these farriers to use that ruler, which is a balancing, it's a demystifying, if you, I think that's the word you use, of the trimming and shoeing process, because you can now measure to achieve that that, that flat and balanced hoof, um, which I love. Yeah, I mean, there's no hype there. Ada, you're no. you're as genuine as 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 horses. Mm-hmm. So I love that, and and I love that people should look for the opinion of the horse instead of oh my gosh the confusion out there of all these yeah. crazy things. You even see that of horses coming in here. I know that yeah. people have asked you know to to ameliorate something that this poor horse yeah. is having issues, and uh, they'll put all kinds of crazy stuff on those feet. But you simplify everything. Yeah, and, I know, and I love yeah. that about you. So that's why you asked me what you could do to help yes. us here. Yes, And I thought, number one, you know that violence is never the answer. Um, that right. is dad's work, right? <laughs> yeah. That's an inappropriate word, but <laughs> it is his mission. And so a farrier with a rasp that goes astray is not acceptable here, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Overdisciplining, yanking, yelling kicking mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. acceptable. So we can start there. No violence in yeah. this this barrier yeah. that's uh, uh, yeah. we're trusting under our horse. But also then you ask them to use this trimming and shoeing process to demystify and simplify it too, yeah. which is wonderful. So what do you th- I mean you don't know of any other barrier director of of <laughs> of an equestrian center um, don't you think that we should start seeing if people would start using your ruler as an owner, I'd want to grab that thing up and, and show it to my fair. It comes with the D V D and everything and say, Can you please use this? And if they use it correctly, they're not gonna screw up too much, are they, Ada? They're not gonna screw up at all. Yeah. Huh. Okay. All they have to do is accept and surrender. there's a lot of big burly guys in this business I know but you know it's amazing some farriers
2: get it they get it in like a nanosecond and they use a ruler and they never stop using it they use it on every horse that they do and there are others that You know, they they take their own ego back. They take their own ideas back, and they continue to do the work on the horses the way they've always done the work on the horses. And I can guarantee you, I've watched them shoe these horses, and they never, ever drop their head and lick and chew and put their ears forward and have a soft eye when that farrier is done. Mm. Never.
1: Mm. And we want that for our horses, don't we? Yes, of course we do. Yeah. Of course we do. And so it is so confusing to owners, but that's one thing you can say to an owner is, okay, just get this and ask your fair, because you can't, you can't possibly be everywhere at once. As much as I'd love dad to be on every continent, always everywhere, uh, you know, he can't. So imparting it, just like what you're doing is the most important thing that you, you really can help us with. And so that's one. And um, how do people find you and, and that ruler? First of all, where do they go?
2: Well, they can go right to your father's website, montybarberts dot com, and go to um, what is it under? I never know what it's under. farrier
1: accessories. I don't um, know. Yeah, equipment. <laughs> I think it's equipment or equipment, something. Like that.
2: It's under yeah. equipment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they can get the ruler. It's thirty five dollars, and they ship it. Your your office ships all over the world. Okay. Um, the other thing, and that I always offer to do this, and I, I know I should charge, but I don't because if they come from Monty. They come from a class or a clinic or a symposium of the movement. This this is my honor to help them. They, they've taken the time and the trouble and made the expense to come and be with your father and his teachings. I'm just a, another little division of that. And so I've always offered to the participants, call me, call me. Let me talk to your farrier. Mm -hmm. Let me be on WhatsApp or FaceTime or Skype or something. I don't care where you are in the world. I shoe horses all over the world because of technology. Right. And I can be with them at the very same time that they're working. And they have a camera going uh, from their phone, watching the man work. They have the ruler. And I can teach this anywhere in the world. And so the owner doesn't have to be alone in presenting this to the horseshoe because probably nine times out of ten he's going to say, get out of here with that. Get, Get away from me. You know. So I've I've offered to the participants, don't show this to your farrier. Call me first. I'll yeah. talk to it.
1: <laughs> put, put that
2: farrier on the phone. <laughs> yeah, give me give me, give me that guy give or me, that girl.
1: <laughs> right. Both of them. I know. I love do you right. love the direction that that uh, the industry is going for farriers?
2: I love the direction that you're going in. Ah, oh, Thanks. I really do, Debbie. There's nothing like it. I, 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 there's really nothing like it. First of all, there's nobody like your father, mm-hmm. and 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 there's nobody like you who have grown up and lived this all your life. But you're actually enacting his legacy, oh. and 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 I, I I think you're the direction I like
1: to see going. That's great. Well, hopefully we'll get a few farriers on board with this with your help. I well, I just I love so, it with your help. I think We're so. doing it. I think yeah. we can, you and me, we're linking arms here. I love the fact that even when you're not, so you come quite often, at least a couple of times a month, don't you know? No, I talk about Great. once a month, but once a month. I've okay.
2: got good, I've got good boots on the ground. You do. You, trained him, yeah, well. you, you trained him up so well. I got good boots on the ground, I don't need to But
1: I love over. that yeah. you could walk. Around the farm, pick up a foot yep. and say, yep. "Ah, yep. I think Sean did this." And you know, and, or can I talk to the guy who did this one yeah, over here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and well, we've I, gotten rid actually, of those. You have, me, yeah. We've gotten rid of those people. <laughs> yeah. That that is <laughs> we, it. We don't have
2: we don't have bad shoeing at the farm anymore. No, I mean, no, 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 no.
1: Uh uh-uh. yeah, Only if they walk on the farm with it is the only time I've noticed it. The less, so yeah. yeah yeah, so we're our goal is to uh, to send them back out to the world because we do have that Mustang right. and and uh, transition horse yes. program with yes. the OTTBs yes. and the Mustangs. We yeah. we just uh, adopted our fourth. We picked up four ah. Mustangs. In, I think it was April, and all four are already adopted, already riding, and yeah. I, our school you is amazing. Is, no, no, no. I didn't do this. This is the team. It's amazing. Simon and his his interns and everybody yeah. are doing that. But see, we're sending them out with your ruler and with the Dooley halter, and they're yeah. they're happier horses. Wow. I didn't know that. oh absolutely. Because they want to do oh. whatever has been happening to those horses. They want to keep doing it. So, so wow. we're we're really happy. We're sort of imparting that to all those people that are adopting too. And bless their souls. I am so glad that they are reaching to an adoption process as opposed to uh, going out there and starting them up from babies, which isn't always the easiest way to do it. So we're happy well, Debbie, to have them pick up. Yep. You are amazing. I had no
2: idea. You're doing what I could never do. You're exponentially spreading
1: Well, the that takes, takes an army, and I appreciate you. You are like no foot, no horse, no Ada, no exponential. So <laughs> yeah, you've got to start at ground zero. If, yeah. If, the, if, the, if,
2: if just yeah. round zero, you you have to. Yeah. Without that, you have nothing. Everything yeah. else is all crooked, wrong, bad, and messes with the head of the horse. He yeah. cannot <laughs> concentrate.
1: I can't. My feet are in ridiculous shoes. I I can't breathe. So I can't imagine what a horse (laughs) is doing. Well, Ada, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing um, those lovely ladies to the house. Thank you for introducing them to dad or reintroducing in some cases too. And um, thank you for what you're doing for horses everywhere and actually horse owners too.
2: Thank you. It's It's my honor and my pleasure, Debbie, and you've given me the pathway and I really, really appreciate
4: it. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast, 158, because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and thigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek.
1: Tenia Creamer is the founder of Heart of Phoenix, which operates the largest equine rescue in Appalachia. Heart of Phoenix was conceived at a time when no other 501c3 horse advocacy organizations existed in West Virginia, and now it covers much of the eastern United States a bit over a decade later. She has created and lobbied for legislation relevant to equine welfare and speaks across the U.S. on various topics relating to the industry regarding how we can improve horse welfare. Tinia was the recipient of the 2019 ASPCA Equine Welfare Award, as well as serving as a panelist and speaker for the American Horse Council the Right Horse Initiative, the ASPCA, and the Humane Society, HSUS, during annual conferences. Focusing on rescue, education, rehabilitation, and equine law enforcement training, the Heart of Phoenix has developed innovative methods to increase equine adoption and improve the welfare of at-risk equines in this severely under-resourced area. Under Tinia's leadership, Heart of Phoenix has saved the lives of over 1,000 horses. We also have on today Pat Roberts, and her favorite subjects are naturally horses, as well as other animals, too. Her bronzes are found in collections across 14 countries and in the homes of royalty, museums, and corporate presidents. The years of experience as an accomplished horsewoman through training, breeding, and showing championship horses has given Pat Roberts the opportunity to study the subjects she loves best. It was a natural for her to gravitate toward creating numerous sculptures of the horse in motion. Well, welcome. We've got Tania Kramer and Pat Roberts on the line and back together. So the band is back together since last weekend. And I'm really excited to say hi to both of you and to get you to share a little bit about the the face of the Let's just call it what you judged this last week, and uh, a little bit about what you've started, Tenia, in order to help a lot of horses, and how Pat jumped in there at your beck and call and said, "I'll be a help too." That was really fun. So, Tenia, let's start with you, founder of Heart of Phoenix and TV star, and all kinds of crazy stuff you must do in your life. Tell me how you you cooked up this idea to have the Appalachia fast. Do you call it Appalachia Face Off? Appalachian Trainer Face Off, um, and that getting getting a
3: name for it was was you know that was the easy part. Oh. <laughs> um, so so really, you know, a lot of times when people hear Heart of Phoenix, they really think we're in Arizona. Oh, so right. I'll just go ahead and clarify <laughs> for listeners: Good we're idea. we're in Appalachia, we're in West Virginia, and because we operate in the poorest part of the United States, just doing horse rescue. You know, it is, it, it's incredibly difficult because we're in a disadvantaged area. So donations, um, are not going to be what you would see, you know, if you were operating, say, in New England. But then the flip side of that is then there's more need because it's a po- poverty stricken area. We, we started to see that as the economy started to stabilize and recover, going into 2011 and 12, the type of horse we started to get changed. So when we were founded in 2009, because the equine community was kind of in a crisis and there were there were horses just needing a home everywhere. A lot of the horses coming to us back then were neglected but had previous training. So as the horse market became stronger, the type of horse we were getting started to become more feral, more unhandled, more untrained, and we really didn't know how to meet that need because there were so many horses and it exceeded what we could actually pay monthly training for. So we just tried to Get uh, get creative. How can we train a lot of horses and um, spread the mission while staying in a budget that was, especially at the start of the ATFO, very small? And that's really where the, the Appalachian Trainer Face-Off was born. And we went out on a limb, started planning in 2016, came up with the catchy name, and started 2017 with this plan of this little event. and And it's just grown every year in an incredible way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had Susanna on, uh, who is also a part of your team there. And such such knowledge, such a depth of knowledge. I know mom spent a lot of time with Susanna because you guys did the commute back and forth from the closest airport to <laughs> wherever you, where you oh, are. I sure did. And you, yeah. And uh, mom was saying that Susanna is just a depth of knowledge. And I know uh, from interviewing her and have, having both you, Susanna uh, and Tanya here, uh, that um, her knowledge just of horse hooves is amazing, but you must have an Im- incredible team. How do you get trainers to come to wherever you are to get started? Or is that one of those barriers to adoption?
3: Well, so if I have any talent in the world, it's to find the helpers, you know? <laughs> so okay. I I just find a way to make people believe in a mission, and thank goodness that's that's the one thing I think I strongly bring to Heart of Phoenix, Mm -hmm. and I've looked for the people, you know, for Susanna, you know, because she loves to find the why, behind what goes wrong with horse health, and just different people, and so even though we didn't know um, a lot of trainers at the start and the inception of the ATFO, I had to count on my ability just to find the people That would believe in what we were doing. And, you know, it wasn't overnight uh, and it never is. But the first year I just had, I reached out to some trainers that were online and just pitched it in the way that I do. And the first year we had four adult trainers and four youth trainers, very (laughs) small. And um, they just showed up because I asked them to. You know, there was no application process. you know, I reached out to people I thought would do a good job. And uh, by the second year, because of the way the first year, you know, um, had gained traction on social media, we actually still reached out and asked trainers, but we had a couple of people asked to apply. And so it just kind of grew from that point year after year, you know, really focusing on a real strong social media presence during the 100 days. Eventually trainers said, Hey, you know, this is really causing, you know, this trainer's business to grow. I want to be involved. And now we have the ability to to, you know, screen, there's a big application and we have far, far more trainers wanting to take part than we even have horses for.
1: Oh, look at that. And how many years have you been doing this? The so the
3: first year was two thousand seventeen.
1: Right. So that is Amazing. That's quite a launch, and it's great. Let me throw out a few statistics from last year, which um, I can't wait to get into what happened this year, but in 2021, about 2,500 people attended this, 40 horses were adopted through the whole event, 75 horses were trained, $350,000 worth of training was donated, and over a million dollars was put into your local economy. That's a quote from you, founder and president of Part of Phoenix. That's pretty incredible. Do you think this year is going to be able to match that?
3: So I will say, you know, we of course went into this global pandemic during, um, you know, 2020, and I have just been blown away that during this situation of of people, um, you know, not being able or willing to travel and 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 get out there in the way that we we saw in 2019 that we have continued to grow. So this year, I do think because, you know, we're seeing a recession, I knew that attendance would be low. And so we didn't see as many people coming to watch. We saw just as many people live stream and tuning in, oh, but we actually saw the average adoption fee is has, has greatly increased from last year. So the average fee the horses were bringing was up, which was surprising because I had kind of braced myself to expect, you know, rationally that in a recession and fuel prices were, was going to, to impact the event. Um, so from what I can see, we don't have all the numbers in, but I can definitely say the average adoption fee was up, and we had a record adoption fee this year of $15,000. Oh. And as someone who, you know, when I started doing the rescue on my own, couldn't convince somebody to pay a $400 adoption fee, because it was a rescued horse, to see a $15,000 adoption fee on a former feral little pony, um, it just, you know, it blows my mind. Um, so, so really still saw some real successes this year, even though attendance was down in person. Um, the support was still there, and the adoption fees were just, just out of this world for, uh, for the event.
1: Good. So your your goals are being met and exceeded. That's awesome. So let's flip this around. Let's hear it from a perspective of someone who lives on the West Coast of the United States, Californian, who happens to meet you out here. Part of the TV filming was being done out here at is Farms in Solving, in California. And mom, not knowing much about um, the you know, West Virginia that much. <laughs> I guess you've been there, mom, but you, you really hadn't... Uh, been involved in their economy or their horse breeding operations no. or anything, right? Yeah. If I'd yeah. been there,
4: I, I really don't even recall. Uh, it seems to me that when Monty was on the road talking about his book and and doing demos, that he went to Huntington, West Virginia. But I'm not certain I was there. So yeah. when I uh, got in the car with Susanna and we headed from Louisville to to the uh, site. Uh, I was just blown away by the country, the beauty of it, And, uh, and when you're on the highways, you really don't see how poor some of the areas are. You have to get off the roadways and get into the little small communities, but... What I saw there was the enthusiasm of a group of people that have worked so hard to make this a success, and I would say that they have definitely made it a success. Uh, it was wonderful to watch, wonderful to be a part of, and I, I love sitting there talking with the fellow judges uh, and just enjoying the
1: total atmosphere of, of the event. Yeah, I'll I'll um, we'll mention those judges too. But why were you asked to be one of the judges there? Well, probably because I'm married to Monty Roberts. Well, there's, <laughs> well, there's that. But I don't I don't think that is all the credentials you have. <laughs> can you expand on why Tenny might have
4: asked you? Well, before? I can, I can. Uh, I've been showing horses for many many years, and I'm I continue to show despite my age, and. Uh, I've studied horses. They've been my life from the time that that Monty and I were married, way back in 1956. And uh, I went to a university of horsemanship by going to thoroughbred sales with Monty and looking for yearlings to sell as uh, two-year-olds. And if you didn't do a good job of picking your horses and and figuring out what, what would sell resell, uh, you did not do well. So my background is definitely horses. It's showing horses. It's breeding horses. I'm showing a horse I call Blackie, and uh, I showed his great-grandmother. So I've also been a part of uh, breeding programs, a very successful one, I must say. And I will pat myself on the back there because I don't think I could have found a, a greater horse than I have to show, especially in at my age. And oh, wow. I, I show in reining classes, cow working classes, and uh, anything that that um, uh, interests me. I've I've done a little bit of trail. We I think I, I, my horses are not really bred to be trail horses, uh, so they probably wouldn't fit. Uh, what we have, we have a wonderful mountain course here on on uh, the farm now. But uh, anyway, I, I've liked all all forms of horse show breeding. Um, I, I just have a lot of background in mm-hmm. horsemanship. So I guess that's why I was invited.
1: Yeah, a lot of horsemanship. And and also, I mean, what's the interesting twist here is that this is the trainer face-off. So you weren't really judging horse flesh, although it's cool that you get to see these horses that are, um, you know, not exactly bred to be world champions or in anything, but that they are pulled out of a situation that is... Uh, up for adoption and makes a greater life for them. But they're, you're actually encouraging these young trainers to do better and be better and be patient with their horses. And so what do you think? What do you think of Tania's selection of trainers that have been well. knocking on her door? That's an easy one to answer. I was
4: impressed, and uh, some of them have, I, I don't know where they started and what their backgrounds are, but some of them are doing a really fine job, and it's its nice to see that they have good feel, they, they're they soft on their horses, and uh, I, I didn't see anything that was a really a detriment to any horse or, or Persian. Uh, everyone seemed to have a lot of respect. And it, it was really something to, to behold. I was, I, I I must say, I was blown away. Particularly when you, you saw the cross section of horses, the the cross uh, breeding, uh, a lot of gated horses that were probably um, bred with other breeds that uh, maybe Morgans. I'm not sure. They were all sizes, all all various colors, uh, conformation. Anyway, I was, I was very impressed with what the trainers were working with because there were all different breeds. Uh, a lot of the horses were bred uh, gated and uh, it, it was amazing to see what they could accomplish in a hundred days. That's what the, the time element was as far as the time that they had to work, work up to the day where they brought them there um, for the competition. And uh, so I was very, very impressed.
1: Yeah, tell us a little bit about what those horses look like. I mean, that's got to be a lot of goal setting there on these horses mm-hmm. to, to be a hundred days. Now they're going to travel. I don't know how far they have to travel to come to the face off and they have to perform. And that's just, just a lot to ask of these horses, Tanya. So what do you think, um, w- Do you think that's a a normal, I mean, there's a lot of Mustang makeovers. Okay. So we'll just put that out there right now. And I know that the BLM is getting a lot of requests for these horses and they get kind of picked over for the Mustang things too. And I think the Mustangs adapt pretty well, but they have their own set of circumstances. But you've got such a mixed bag of horses. Tell us a little, dig in a little bit. So we have a vision of what those horses are, um, what what they're plucked out of and what we're asking them to do in a hundred days and how amazing that is for trainers?
3: Well, I think um, this kind of, my answer will circle to that and even back to one of the reasons that I wanted to ask Pat to be a judge. Uh, because I thought of all the the people I've met, what diversity over her life she would have encountered um, from her own um, perspective of, of what she has done with horses, but also the travel around the world and and that was important to me because a lot of trainers and a lot of people that we would ask to judge are in a box. And mm-hmm. I thought, who have I met that's not in a box based on what I just knew of, of her and Monty's life, what what they had seen. And I thought Pat would bring a perspective of, of not a, not inside of a box, if that makes sense, because rolling into that question, the diversity of horses and trainers that come to this. So unlike the Mustang makeover, you know, a Mustang has a very it's a set story. The horses dispositions vary some, but the way they're gathered, the way they're held, the way they grow up, it that's we know what that's that looks like. The horses that are in our event, there's uh, plethora of backgrounds you know breedings um, some have been abused, some have been grossly neglected some have been feral some have been started but poorly started and the breeds and even the ages vary you know we do we don't have horses that are over the age of 15 go through the event but they could be as young as three. Um, so I, I think it presents a big challenge for the trainers because uh, most trainers that come to this have a certain background. You know, and so it challenges them to do something they haven't done and to do it well. And then I, I like judges to look at it and, and outside the box. And, and I love that Pat saw that, that this is not the typical horse that the, these trainers are taking home. And so how do they meet that challenge? Um, and I hope it, it makes them think bigger about how they train and, 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 and always be ready to train the horse they have in front of them. You know, um, and I think a lot of them definitely do that. And if they don't succeed that first year, you know, if they come back to continue to work at that and really always, you know, train the horse that's in front of you today, not the horse you have in your mind or the the horse you thought you signed up for, but but train this horse. And um, and so I really appreciate that she saw that element because I think a lot of people don't realize what a challenge that is for the trainers.
4: You know, uh, I think it would be a really good thing to explain to the audience how the trainers pick their horses, or how how the selection is is uh, done, for
3: sure. So, and it's very different than say the mustang makeover. So, I'm very big on. I want the trainer to, you know, they're going to be outside the box, but I want them to focus on what they think they're going to do well. So, what I do is we divide the trainers um, into groups. You have what we call pro and amateur. Now, we don't use that. In, Typical equine world terms. It's truly the, we're using the pro term to mean you can do a more difficult horse, you know, and then the amateur is, I don't think you're quite ready for the feral horses or the very, very troubled horse. So we divide the trainers into to those groups. We also divide the horses into those groups. So we go through and do a little bit with the horses and decide, I think you're going to be so tough that you need to be here on the pro side and you're not going to be as difficult or as challenging. So you're on the amateur horse side. So then, I walk through um, on the day that they pick up their horses, I walk through and I tell them everything I know about the horse, what I anticipate um, the challenges will be, what we have seen out of the horses. And I ask them, you know what you're strong in, you know where your skills are, pick the horse that you believe you can be successful with. All of these horses are going to challenge you in different ways, but I don't want you to pick a horse that you don't think you're going to show up and enjoy working with. And so I just, I want them to really think about that. Mm. So then we draw names, and in order of name drawn in each division, they get to select a horse. We have more horses than trainers uh, so that even if your name is drawn last, you don't just have to take that horse that you get to at least think about what I've talked to you over the horse and and make a decision of of, of horse that you think you can do a good job with. So in order of name drawn, they will pick from, you know, their division. And I, I really always love that because I see every year what I know what I have in mind, like who I, I hope gets picked by who, you know, and I really appreciate how most of the trainers, when they say the name, I think usually what a good choice that you are going to get along with that horse because of what I've told you about the horse and what I know about you, this is going to work really well. And usually it does. So it's just recognizing the differences in the trainers and horses. Um, So we want to allow that. We don't want to randomly assign a horse or randomly draw and just say, okay, I've drawn number one. And that means you get this horse. We want to let the trainer set them up them and the horses up for success so give them as much information as possible to make a good pick
4: yeah and i would say <laughs> that it really worked well i i in looking back at it i only um uh, uh can think of one pair that i thought really weren't suited to one another and uh, so out of that many that's pretty good
1: how many is that then?
4: Well, did you have well, in- how many I
1: were I think there? we have I think we had 30 I think we had
3: 30 trainers wow. um, and horses mm-hmm. in the competitive portion yeah
2: mm-hmm. that's
3: incredible so you just thought and and, and that for sure and every year it's gotten less i will say you know um say 2019 was our first big year. So we started in 1718. 18, still was pretty small. 19 was big. And, you know, we went away thinking we need to be more selective about how we accept trainers. And we need to be, we need to tell them more because, you know, so that, so 2019, we probably had five or six pairs that I thought, oh, oh, you know, I don't, I, I want to make sure we're doing the best by the horse. Yeah. So that's when we started going into 2020, really talking to the trainers about each horse in the walkthrough and that changed I think how they selected horses so in 2020 you know there were just a few in 2021 and I, I think kind of what Pat's saying I just felt really good as a whole this year not perfect but as a whole I thought these guys are really showing up trying to pick the right horse and um and if they're running into issues this year, a lot of the trainers reached out, asked for help. We got them some resources. So that's another thing. You know, if a trainer meets a roadblock, we don't want you to muddle through like you're wearing, you know, goggles in the dark. We, we send you resources, connect you to, to people that, that can help you so that you're showing up doing a good job and we have an adoptable horse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is the bottom line. That's what I love about this is it just brings so much more. You you do that through social media and just doing such a good job at Heart of Phoenix. Uh, but I love that you're just bringing more attention to the fact that these horses have an afterlife from whatever the situation is that they are rescued from. And I don't even, you know, being a part of the, the equine welfare uh, ASPCA's program, like the right horse, we don't want to call them rescues anymore because a lot of these horses are healthy and just ready to do something instead of uh, languishing somewhere. So I love that you're bringing that to the fore in the the national scheme and that you've got lots of attention and it, you have so much energy, Tania. It's wonderful that you're doing so much for horses. We've put the right people in the right place at the right time, I think, to really get horses front and center for all the things that they're doing for the inside and outside of people. And I appreciate you for that and appreciate you taking good care of my mom all the way to West Virginia and back. Well, we were sure thrilled to have her. And, and uh, you know,
3: I said, I just hope one day that I would just get on a plane and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go judge this thing and I'm just going to go to a place I've never been. And I said, you know, it was just I was so mm-hmm. thankful and appreciative and she was very gracious yeah uh, so really gracious
4: really i am so happy that I accepted your invite and was a part of this it was it was uh monumental to watch a, a, a rescue uh, quote quote uh yep. sell for fifteen thousand dollars and another one for thirteen uh amazing and then there was another there was a girl that that had a horse uh that she had uh, Evidently formed a bond with, and someone bought it and gave it to her, and that was really heartwarming.
1: Oh, that's That's so nice! Nice gesture. I don't know the names, but oh my goodness, they know everybody had tears in their eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, see, it just brings out the best in people, and horses do that, it really does. Where do we, we'd love to get contacts for both of you. Tinia, how do people reach to the Heart of Phoenix? How can they help? Can you give us some websites and some contact information?
3: Yes, so, um, so Heart of Phoenix, obviously we're a 501c3. We're all donation funded, a very little grant funding. We really are made up of the individual donors. Um, it's, it's about a $60,000 a month budget uh, to sustain the horses. We have uh, usually 150 or so in the organization at any time. So to learn more, they can go to wvhorserescue.org. They can also visit our educational blog at heartofphoenix.com. And then you can find us on social media, on Instagram, and on Facebook at Heart of Phoenix. And then, if anyone, um, sometimes people, if they like to hear the inside stories of the rescue, they can also follow me. I have a public platform um, on social media, just Tania Creamer. Sometimes I'll share a little more there um, than we do on the Heart of Phoenix page about individual horse stories.
1: Great! I saw a really cute picture of you and Mom on your Instagram page too. So people have to go see that. What
3: were we talking about? I I was telling her if she comes back next year, she's not going to get out of karaoke.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's what that look is. (laughs) I I took
4: a pass on that karaoke. (laughs) She sure did. I said, now, listen, we're going back to
3: karaoke. And I thought, I bet she's not going to make it. But I said, that's (laughs) the requirement. If we get you back here next year, we're (laughs) we're singing Country Roads, Take Me Home.
4: I that's guess awesome. I missed a good party. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we did have a good time. <laughs> and Bob, uh, you, you should heard. give your um, your website for your sculptures because you do a beautiful job of those those confirmations on those horses. That's right.
4: I I use my knowledge of horses to create wonderful bronzes, and uh, uh, you can uh, look at my website. It's w There's two s's there. dot com.
1: Thank you. And you're on Flag Is Farms in Solvang, California, and people can come visit anytime.
4: That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I invite, well, we
4: we as a family invite people to come and visit, and everyone's always amazed. They say, oh my gosh, you open your doors and just let people come. Absolutely. I mean, don't we know want. No, we don't know any, any different. <laughs> and it's been a wonderful experience 100% of the time. So, yeah, come see us. Yeah, come see Monty. Come see the new mountain course.
1: Yeah, and, that's right. And that's our horses for adoption too. Yeah, we have our our own transition yeah. horse program. So thank you both, ladies. You're rock stars and, and, and leading leading the pack. So way ahead of your time. And I hope everybody will uh, grab your coattails and catch up. Well, thank you for
3: having me on. I sure appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Deb. What in the wide wide world of sports is going on here? Yeah.
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. September 12th through 16th are the introductory exams. Finally ready for the exams. Before that, we have... September 26th through October 8th, the introductory course of horsemanship, that's the two-week course, 10 days actually with a weekend in between for the introductory course of horsemanship, the first leg of the certification. Then September 26th through 28th, we have the introductory course module one. You see how that overlaps. It's the first steps to Monty's methods. And then September 29th to October one, we have the introductory course module two, that's the join-up. And then October three through five, we have the introductory course module three, which is long lining, And then October 6th through 8th, we have the introductory course module four, the last one, which is, of course, preparation for those intro exams. And so it goes. And then we have um, Horsemanship 101. Now, that's a fun one to put on your calendar October 12th. We do those every once in a while and they always fill fast. So get on that, October 12th, Horsemanship 101. And then we have our Horse Sense and Healing again. We have about six of those a year. Those are for our Veterans with post traumatic stress, and that's October 21 through 23. And if you have anyone that you believe should be calling us about that and Healing for veterans and first responders with post traumatic stress, please look us up at MontyRoberts.com or you can call, you can call uh, at the office, which is 805 688 6288.
0: For details about today's show, go to www.horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your
3: feedback.
4: Please follow us on Facebook under www.facebook.com slash Monty Roberts,
0: Twitter at www.twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts, and Instagram, instagram.com slash Monty underscore Roberts slash.
1: And many thanks to our sponsors too. That's hands-on gloves and Monty We couldn't do it without you. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at horseradio network.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.